willpower wasn't what empowered me because willpower is propelled by reason. Uh, you go to a, a workshop or a seminar and you get inspired or you get motivated and you say, you know what, I'm going to try that. You may go out and buy the right shoes, the notebook and start taking notes. But willpower is like a muscle. You work that muscle, you work that muscle, it gets fatigued, it gets tired and willpower has the ability to give out. What motivated me was something that went past logic and reason. And that was pain. Pain speaks louder. When it's time to quit and give up, pain just keeps going. Pain or passion, those are the two drivers that makes your, your, uh, your, your overachievers overachievers. Because when it's time to give up, they don't know how to quit because the pain drives them. They remember uh, why they're doing what they're doing. I'm doing this because I was told you'll never be anybody. You'll never be this. You'll, I mean, and you say, I got to prove them wrong. And that pain that you've gone through, you use that and you embrace it and you push through it, even when it seems impossible. Hi, I'm Pete McCall. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is a guest for this episode, Ron Williams. Before I go into the full introduction for Ron, I want to take a moment to remind you that if you're looking for resources for how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life, you can go to PeteMcCallFitness.com and sign up for my email newsletter. In addition, I have a number of written resources, including my book, Smarter Workouts, and eBooks on functional core training and dynamic anatomy. All this information can be found below in the show notes or by going to PeteMcCallFitness.com. Hey, plus... If you're looking for a great vacation, if you're looking for a great shot to your fitness and exercise program, please join me at the Rancho La Puerta Resort and Spa in Tecate, Mexico, the week of September 18th, 2021. You fly into San Diego and a shuttle will take you to the resort where I'll be leading workouts and teaching seminars based on smarter workouts and ageless intensity. It would be awesome to see you there. There'll be information. There'll be a link down below in the show notes. Now, back to the introduction for this episode's guest. Ron Williams is a minister in Draper, Utah. In fact, it was during this conversation, and it was something that Ron said that reminded me about my friend Melanie Webb, who was featured on the show a few episodes ago. The reason why I chose to play that clip at the beginning is because many of us struggle to get through pain in life. Like all things, there are always three options. You can accept and live with it, run and try to hide from it, or face it and overcome it. Ron has a fascinating and powerful story and is a great representation of the fact that in life, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Ron is a gifted athlete who found the sport of bodybuilding where he won multiple titles, including Mr. Natural Olympia and Mr. Natural Universe, and he won each of those titles multiple times. Which means that in a sport plagued by rampant drug use, he was able to achieve a high level of success without having to go down that path. Now that he's approaching the age of 60, Ron continues to stay active and fit. And, and more importantly, he works with others to promote a positive approach to life so they can work through any challenges they might experience in order to live the life they want and deserve. And I want to say something real quick. My father was a Lutheran minister growing up. So I did grow up around the church. However, I'm not really religious. I don't practice any particular religion. My views and feelings about religion aren't that important. 
But one thing that I have observed is that some of the people in my life who I respect the most are people of faith. Now, the religions might vary, but some of my good friends and, and people I consider mentors put their faith first in their life. Not in a way of, look at me, look how religious I am. There's a lot of that going on, right? But these are people who live their life in a way that has a positive influence on others. Now, this is a podcast about the role that fitness and exercise plays in enhancing the quality of life. However, it's not possible to discuss the physical aspect of our being without also recognizing the role that spirituality plays in life. One of my mentors would always talk about the relationship between mind, body, and spirit, that you can't improve one without having an effect on the other two. All that to say that, that I don't go out of my way to look for guests who speak about religion. At the same time, I'm also not going to turn them away. Because whether you're religious or not, I, I honestly think that we can all learn something by having an open mind and hearing about the role that faith plays in other people's lives. I'll get ready for a shot of motivation because this is a powerful conversation about how to create a life of purpose and passion with natural bodybuilder and non-denominational minister, Ron Williams. Today, it is an honor to be speaking with Ron Williams. Ron, how are you doing today, bud? I am doing wonderful, sir, man. It's good to be with you. Well, thank you for joining me. And I really, I was, I was really impressed with your bio, Ron, because it looks like you've had a very um, unique life and unique, unique experience. You're currently in Salt Lake City, but you grew up in Indianapolis, correct? That's right, man. Certainly did. And and how would you describe how would you describe like your childhood growing up? Like what what was that like? Well, my childhood was very. I had very very humble beginnings, man. Uh, I was born and raised there in the in the black ghetto because there are different types of ghettos. The black ghetto is a is a different creature, man. Um, I was uh, dropped off at a babysitter's house at three years old, and I remember the day that that took place and the pain that it created in my life. And from that point on, um, I was depressed until I was twenty eight years old. I didn't realize realize I was depressed until I was no longer depressed. Because it was so consistent. Um, I was molested, um, you know, a lot of those young years of my life. And I didn't know any different. I didn't know that other kids were, weren't hungry. I didn't know that other kids weren't being molested. I didn't know other kids didn't have their mother and their father. I just thought this was, this was normal because it was my life. So needless to say, I had very, very, a very humble beginning. I was suicidal by the time I was 13 years old, trying to figure out a way to end it. But thank God I didn't. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just taking a moment, Ron. I didn't I didn't realize realize that. And I, it's amazing how many people have to deal with the trauma of, of early childhood abuse like that. And, and I think mm. for a lot of people that don't that haven't have, that haven't addressed it, it, it's interesting and somewhat refreshing to hear you talk so candidly about that. I'm sure it was a journey to get to this point, correct? Oh, my God. Yeah, it was quite a journey. But uh, I have to say, halfway along the way, man, I finally started enjoying the journey. And as a matter of fact, I'm still in the journey, man. Uh, and I'm helping other people as I'm going through the journey. Well, you know, and that's a big thing, right? I think I think it can be very easy 
for people to get bogged down by this happened to me or, or woe is me. And it's like, and, and, and yeah, you can't really control what happened to you in the past, but what do you have control over? What is something you have control over day to day? That's right. You're so right, man. What do you have control? You know, a lot of people ask me that question. They say, uh, how do you look at the world the way you look at it and be so positive? Look at what's going on here and here. I say, I can't, I can't um, change the big things, but I can change some of the small things and I can help some of the people that are around me. And that gives me uh, the optimism that I have because I can make a difference. And, you know, I love hearing that message. And one of the things, too, that I thought was so cool about your background, Ron, is that you served some time in the military, correct? And, and what and how do you credit the military and what influence, what, what role did the military play in your life? How did that influence your life? Well, this is a little bit embarrassing in a way, but it's a kind of telltale about my childhood. The military was really good for me, man. It, it gave me discipline, gave me a time to go to bed at night. And we woke up at five o'clock every morning. So it set a stage of discipline. But I also learned to brush my teeth in the military. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a toothbrush, man, until I was, I can't remember having one until I was, uh, till I was in the military. Wow. And, and, and see, <laughs> that's, and that, but, but I look at that and I see that, look, I, I, I grew up in the suburbs, right? I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. I can look back on it now, especially when I hear other people's stories like yours, and I had a pretty chill lifestyle, right? I if I needed some money, what I do? I go, I went and raked, went went and raked leaves. If I needed some extra money, I went and mowed lawns. And so when I look at people that grew up in different areas, Ron, especially what you described, like kids that grew up maybe in a neighborhood like the where you grew up, and kids get involved in bad things, I look at that. That's a product of their environment, right? Like just, you know, I happen to grow up in a very different environment where you know if I needed money, I went out and raked leaves. In other areas, kids might do other things to get money. So when you got to the military, what role did that play in terms of changing your outlook on life and and kind of how you approached life? Well, one, I got to see outside of the ghetto. I got to see that there was a different way of living. Um, I learned some things that were really good. I learned some things that were bad, Uh, some some things that were not very positive. Um, The military, you know, when we're not in war, oftentimes what happens is the people that are in charge, they, instead of fighting a war uh, with the enemy, they tend to pick on one another mm-hmm. <laughs> because they have rank and authority. But in wartime is when they band together and everybody is focused and we become brothers at a time like that. Uh, so I learned some things in the military. I learned how to communicate with people because uh, I didn't I didn't know that communication was a learned skill that you learn in the home, you know, um, and I didn't learn communication because I was uh, not around a lot of people that I could really talk to and communicate with. And uh, so that's a, a learned skill for me. I learned how to communicate and, uh, with people in the military. And and what, the other thing that I saw in your bio, Ron, and, and where I was going to with asking about the military was you found kind of your love of bodybuilding. You developed your love of bodybuilding in the military. And what role does sports, where I want to ask, where I want to go with this, Ron, is what role does sports play in the military? Because last year I interviewed a young woman, a dynamic young woman who went to West Point. She graduated. She's a captain now. And she flies. She's a little girl, man. She's not bigger, but she flies attack helicopters. She's in the, she, she, and, but also too, she was one of the first members of the Army's CrossFit team. 
So, and, and what I think, what, what I, what I want to go with this is what role does sports play in the army? Because isn't that a way that you can kind of stay active that not only are you serving the military, but also you can be competitive and do different things within the army. Isn't that correct? Well, one thing I played four sports on an international level before I was 20 wow. now and, and bodybuilding was the last sport I competed in. Um, what actually happened was uh, I body, I mean, comp- competing became my family. And that started in seventh grade. I remember running a track meet and I took second place. The guy on my left side, he took first place. And the guy on my right side, he took third place. Well, the guy on my right side, his family was there with him. And I was there standing alone. And the the reporters came in and they asked me a question. They said, how did you do? I said, I did great. And they said, well, what place did you get? I said, I took second. And they asked me, they said, who won? And I told them the guy on my left. Everybody shifted and went over there. And it was a turning point for me because I stood there by myself. I saw the guy on my right with his family and saw the guy on the other side with the reporters. I said, I could never be the guy with the family, but I could be the guy that went. And so at that point, pain became my friend, man. I I learned how to embrace the pain so that I could be first. In every sport I played, I learned how to embrace the pain and made pain a friend so that I could be number one. And that became my family. Well, when I was in the military, this is how I started boxing. I was in the military. I was on the, um, uh, I was on the military boxing team. And my coach said to me, after training, he said, have you ever thought about bodybuilding? I was so negative on Ron. I said, hey, I haven't lost a fight yet. What are you saying? You say I'm washed up? <laughs> and he said, no, uh, you've been running uh, 13 miles a day with your hands up in the air. Uh, you've been swimming. You've been running track. And your body is so developed. You ought to try bodybuilding. So I went about 200 miles from where I was stationed. Uh, I didn't know you had to learn how to pose and all that stuff, man. I just <laughs> got on stage and they said, turn to the left. I turned to the left. They said, turn to the left. I turned to the left. They said, again, turn to the left. I said, man, they're going to be looking at my backside, you know? And they were judging like a, like you were a piece of meat standing on stage. And uh, with that whole thing, I was just so out of my element because I was really shy. And I did such a horrible job. They placed me number one. I thought they felt sorry for me and gave me number one. I didn't believe I won until I saw the pictures. Then I went back and said, I'm going to redeem myself. I'm going to learn how to pose. And then I'm never going to do that again. And I did it one more time and I was stuck, man. And that's what you got started on the bodybuilding career? Yes. Because you've won a number of different titles. And, And first of all, I find this question interesting, man, because I look at it like a lot of young guys. What first got me interested in fitness was bodybuilding. I grew up in the 80s. You had Schwarzenegger. You had Stallone. You had Von Dahm in the movies. I mean, right? We all wanted to be those guys, and they all had the big muscles, and they all got the women at the end. When I look look at it, I mean, I'm, I'm a stocky white dude. I don't get that cut. Even when I diet down and stuff, I don't get that cut. Because bodybuilding takes a tremendous amount of dedication. And when you got into it, you decided to follow a certain path. What type of bodybuilding did you do? When you say what type of bodybuilding, well, one thing is I was a, I was always afraid, like even today, I'm afraid of needles, man. I'm the guy that you stick with a needle and he passes out, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, and and, and it, what's so ridiculous about it is I have to watch it as they're doing it. It's like, oh, oh. 
And um, so I did, I, I, I did the natural bodybuilding where I didn't even take creatine, man, for, uh, I just started taking creatine five years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. I've got a son that I just uh, trained to compete. He, um, uh, I trained him to compete and he just got his pro card oh, wow. uh, this year. So, so that's been really nice, but, but, but the type of training that I did that I do still is very, very safe. I stay within the joint structure. I stay, I'm, a lot of times when people work their bodies, they, they focus on the muscle and they forget about the joint structure or the joints that they're attached to. What could happen with that is you can build the muscle and destroy the joint. Mm -hmm. Then you can't even work the muscle because of the pain. So I stay within the, the, uh, the joint structure with every exercise that I do. And see that what what I want to ask you about is because bodybuilding to me, if you look back, go back in the day, like in the late sixties and early seventies, when and I have to tell you the first book, the book that I first bought um, that got me interested in fitness, I was thirteen years old, and it was Arnold Schwarzenegger: Education of a Bodybuilder, and it was like written in the nineteen seventies, so it was all about like the bodybuilding scene in the late sixties and seventies. The dudes were muscular, but they weren't freaks yet. You know yeah. what I mean? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yes, because I, I think when you look at the origins of bodybuilding, you can have a lot of respect for the amount of work they put in. But what happened along the way where people started getting crazy and taking all kinds of drugs? And I mean, you talk about needles, but because I look at natural bodybuilding and, and what makes natural bodybuilding so challenging? What makes it so ch challenging is you have to be more scientific and everything is a lot slower. And I watch guys that start bodybuilding five, 10 years younger than me and surpass me within two to five years just because of these supplements that they're taking. You know, I, I watched that for several years, but I also watched a lot of my close friends die from it. So mm -hmm. that just kept me in that balance of saying, no, I, that's the reason why. Well, and I think where I'm going with that, Ron, is I look at that and look, I'm not going to knock knock anybody that, that might decide to dope up or take take drugs, right? That's that's right. their choice. That's but right. In the long run, you see it, it tears it tears your body apart. You know, you, you can you have health effects. I read something where what Schwarzenegger had had heart surgery a couple of years ago. A lot of the guys that came up in his generation have had ongoing health problems because of that. So, do you think there's this whole attitude in in the sport of bodybuilding of like? I don't care. I just want to, I want to win now. And what do you think that's done to the sport? I've had lots of uh, bodybuilders contact me and they say, Ron, I'm building my base right now. How to help me build my base so that when I get the base finished, I can start taking drugs. Mm. And my, my, my encouragement to them is if you can build that foundation, if you can build that base that you're talking about, why not stay with your foundation and build on top of that without the drugs? And then I begin to um, tell them the stories of, uh, of, of what I've seen personally and try to discourage them from taking the drugs. But, but, but you look at the Ronnie Coleman's. I mean, I love Ronnie Coleman. He's a, I mean, he was one of the greatest bodybuilders that has ever lived, but how it's destroyed his bone structure, his spine. I mean, and the and, and just the poundage that he uh, put on his body. I mean, he, that guy's a gladiator, man. But it really, really wrecked havoc on his body. 
And if you see him today, he is not, he, he's only a fraction of the, of the physical specimen that he was, man. Well, and I, I saw that that documentary. I think was on Netflix about him because, yeah, he was he was like the, he was one of the big dudes coming up when I was in my in my late teens and twenties. And last year, I had an opportunity to interview Dorian Yates, and and Dorian won. I think it was what a six time Mr. Olympia winner in the in the nineties. And Dorian was talking about how he does yoga now. He does some strength training, but he does <laughs> yoga. He rides his bike because it beats the body to heck. And and what is it about? Because when I look at that. Well, let me ask this question. What is it about, do you think, our culture that guys feel they need to take drugs? And, and and you and I are going to talk as guys. I don't know about the whole women's psyche. That's a whole different – I don't even want to go there. But but what is it about our culture that, that might make a guy think he needs to take drugs in order to be able to, to be competitive in the sport? Well, one is that is an absolute fact. Uh, in order to be competitive on the drug side, you have to take the drugs, man, because those guys are um, 320 pounds, pure muscle, and they look like the pictures, the caricatures that we used to draw. Now, in natural bodybuilding, uh, it's completely different. It's just two different animals, man. Uh, one side, if that's what you want to do, then, you know, more power to you. But I'm looking at life and longevity. And I think me, I started off in bodybuilding, to be honest with you, sports. I started off very, very insecure. And now I was this little boy inside that wanted to build this armor around this little boy to protect mm -hmm. him, uh, um, not really consciously, but subconsciously thinking that my body would be an intimidation to say, don't hurt me, you know? Um, and when I competed on stage, I stood up there for many of the competitions that I won, thinking if they pick me first, that means I'm accepted. That mm -hmm. means they they love me. It really wasn't fun in the beginning, to be honest with you. My wins were not fun. I hated losing more than I loved winning. Oh, wow. You know, it was, it was a losing that I couldn't handle, man. But when I made that transition in my life at 28 years old, I became a better bodybuilder. I was better at 40 and at 45 than I ever was when uh, when I competed in the younger years. And what happened at 28? I mean, what was the big change that, that impacted your life at that age? Well, at 28, um, that's when I started developing a relationship with God. And my focus changed, my mentality changed, um, and, and everything took a, you know, I, I began to look at life different. That's when the depression really left, man. And what, and what was it? Because here, here's the thing. I'm going to take a step back and just for listeners, because I always I'm always interested in this type of journey. Right. Of what what causes people to kind of wake up and realize, wait a minute, I can do things a different way. I can do things a better way. And the way I look at, at this type of relationship, and, and I'm not particularly religious by any sense of the word, but I greatly respect the role that God plays in our life. Like the, I, I say to friends that I'm, you know, I know this about God. There is a God. I'm not it. And I kind of leave it at that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I recognize I'm very, I'm very um, respectful of those that put that put their faith in front of their life or that live their life by a certain faith. I have a lot of respect for that. I don't care what religion it is. I respect the fact that people say, hey, this is important to me and I'm going to live my life this way. So what was it about that, about that turning point that really had an impact on you? Well, one thing... Um this is a weird story, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cut it really short, but just know uh, that it's so much more than this. 
I heard a voice and this voice was not an, uh, a voice of a man. And I wasn't afraid of anything. I wasn't even afraid of death. I wanted to just not be here. I wanted to die. And uh, I had people say to me when I was younger, man, if you do that, they're going to kill you. I mean, I, they're going to shoot you. I'm like, do me a favor, you know, put me out of my misery. That's the kind of mentality I had. I didn't care about my life, nor did I care about anybody else's. Um, so with that being said, I heard this voice at 28 years old, tell me I am going to take your life. It wasn't the voice of a man. It trembled through my body. And for the first time I could remember, I was afraid. And I remember going home and, um, uh, going home, getting into my bed, and my bed began to spin into darkness while I'm laying there. Now, mind you, I slept with my bed against the wall and a big pillow in front of me because um, I wanted, I wanted, I, I like closed things mm -hmm. because I was never touched as a kid. You know, I was never loved or cuddled or kissed as a, you know, like a mother would a child. And I craved that closeness. So I'm laying there in bed and I feel myself spinning and and, and, and I heard this voice that, that just told me again, you are going to die. And so um, I remember praying for the first time. I dropped on my knees and I prayed. And I said, God, all these Christian people tell me that you love me and I've been the biggest heathen in the world. If you're really real, then prove it to me. And God spoke to me for the first time at that, at that point. And my life immediately changed. I didn't go to church or anything for six months, but my life changed. Something inside clicked and I was not the same anymore, man. So uh, that was that was the way it started for me. A lot of people, they have, you know, they went to church, somebody talked to them, uh, however, but mine was completely different. Well, it's interesting. And I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast and I don't, I don't talk about it that much because, you know, we, we all have our things we keep private. But I've been, you know, I've been, I've been in and out of sobriety for a number of years. And I was just about the same age you were at, at about 28 years old when I realized I couldn't keep living the way I was living at the time. You know what I mean? Mm. And it yeah, really yeah. was. And that, and that's really been, that's how I found God is through like through 12 step programs. And so when I hear your story, I can't tell you, man, how many times I've heard, heard people in meetings, whether it's AA, NA, whatever the A is, but one of the common denominators in, in the program are people who who were abused as kids, as people who wow. are dealing with those dealing with those issues, and, and having to, and having to come to face to face with it, and having to realize that. And when I when I see this story, that's why I have a lot. That's why I have a lot of respect for people because I had one friend, Ron, and, and he unfortunately took his own life a number of years ago. Um, but we played rugby together, and Mike Bullock was a really really good dude, and and he had had a, he had had a hard charging life in his early age too. But he found God as his way to stop drinking. And kind of he straightened his life up by, by, by finding God and going to church. And so we kind of had that in common because we'd hang out at rugby parties. I wouldn't be drinking because I was, I was starting my journey in sobriety. He wouldn't be drinking because of his, his relationship with God. But it, it really, so you see that. So I can, I can totally relate to you, Ron, about having that voice saying, to me, my voice was saying, there can, this can be done a different way. You can do things a different way. And, and so what, what's happened? What's it mean to you? Now to put God first in your life, I guess that's the question where I want to go with that because everybody can look at that a little bit differently. And I have to admit, if if you ask my younger self twenty something years ago, I'd be like, "Man, what are you talking about? Putting God first in your life? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you don't relate to that. But now, when, when you when you do that, what's that mean to you to put God first in your life? Two things. One is God as a as a father who I love. I don't want to disappoint. 
And then I look at God as a lens in which I, I, I view the whole world. I, I view the world through the lens of what would, what would, how would God want me to see this? Would he be pleased with my actions? Would, you know, what's the right thing to do here in my marriage? in business relationships? How can I create a win-win situation so everybody wins here? Uh, so I view life completely different the way I, than the way I used to. And I go into it with an optimism that this is a good thing, regardless of how bad it looks. Uh, I can never touch the bottom because um, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that God upholds you with the right arm of his righteousness. So if I'm sitting on his arm, I can never touch the bottom. <laughs> and you just never know. You better put your seatbelt on because he might raise his arm. <laughs> well, and you know, that, that's the one thing I respect about this, right? Is because when I look at that and the way I've learned how to kind of live my life with that is we go, well, let's go back to what we talked about earlier. We can't control. There's so many things out there in this world that we cannot control. Right, Ron? That, that, but what can we control? We can control right here. We can control our attitude. We can control our actions right now. And that's where I kind of look at it like, you know what? I don't need to worry about all that stuff. The big man upstairs or the big woman upstairs, responsible for that. What can I control? I can control by putting one foot in front of the other. And you kind of re reference this by doing the next right thing. Right. What, what's the next right thing that I can do now? How would you end up becoming a, 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 a are you, you consider yourself a pastor, a minister? How do you describe that? How would you, uh, you end up in that role? Well, I'm a pastor uh, and I have a, a congregation and it's a non-denominational church. And what happened, man, is God tricked me. Um, I started on this journey and I went on a 40 day fast, uh, just water. And during this 40 day fast, there was a few things that he showed me and I saw people dying around me. And mm -hmm. I said something, I said, uh, with tears, alligator tears coming out of my eyes. I said, God, don't let my, I said, don't let the sheep die. Don't let the sheep die. And the next day he said, remember yesterday when you said, don't let the sheep die. Uh, how do you know they're sheep? Well, if they're sheep, they need a pastor and you're the pastor. Mm. And so uh, I said, I, I don't know anything about, I don't know enough about the Bible to teach them. I don't know enough about you to teach them. He said, you only need one thing and that's love. Uh, he said, if you love them, you'll learn what it requires to feed them. And he said, feed my sheep. So I started uh, doing a Bible study. I started doing some evangelism. And before you know it, uh, I, I was pastoring a church. One of the reasons why I want to talk to you is we're all trying to find our way and we're all trying to look for how do we make it through this life? You know, you can look around and say oh, there's all kinds of things going on. We've just lived through a, and we're still living through a, a major pandemic. We have all kinds of issues going on. But one of the things I think is so important is finding a team around you. And that's one of the things that, that I look at, like, you know, whether I go to a go to a 12 step program, you go to a church. What you're doing is you're surrounding yourself with other like-minded individuals. Individuals, you're putting yourself in a team. What I mean, how important has that been? And after after 28 years old, because you didn't stop bodybuilding at 28, you kept doing that, and and you achieved all kinds of recognitions and awards. What kind of role, having found God and putting that front and center in your life, what kind of role did that help you? What what role did that play in you being successful as a bodybuilder? Well, one thing I was competing in the beginning, uh, I find that two things really help people to move forward. And some people think it's a great deal of willpower. Willpower wasn't what empowered me because uh, 
willpower is propelled by reason. Uh, you go to a, a workshop or a seminar and you get inspired or you get motivated and you say, you know what, I'm going to try that. You may go out and buy the right shoes, the notebook and start taking notes. But willpower is like a muscle. You work that muscle, you work that muscle, it gets fatigued, it gets tired and willpower has the ability to give out. What motivated me was something that went past logic and reason. And that was pain. Mm. Pain speaks louder. When it's time to quit and give up, pain just keeps going. Pain or passion, those are the two drivers that makes your, your, uh, your, your overachievers overachievers. Because when it's time to give up, they don't know how to quit because the pain drives them. They remember uh, why they're doing what they're doing. I'm doing this because I was told you'll never be anybody. You'll never be this. You'll, I mean, and you say, I got to prove them wrong. And that pain that you've gone through, you use that and you embrace it and you push through it, even when it seems impossible. And, and, and as a coach, what, what's been the common denominator? Because you help guys, you're kind of like a motivational coach and you kind of help guys make transformation in their life, right? You guys that might be overweight or guys that might be struggling with their health and fitness What's one of the common denominators in their issue that you try to help them overcome? One is um, I find out whatever it is, the majority of the people that I work with, they're trying to lose body fat. They've never had a six pack. And, you know, so they have these, these small things, but I'm looking at them and I tell them up front that the things that I do, I concentrate on four things. I won't create monsters anymore. I used to train athletes. To, to reach the top of their game. That's what I used to do. Uh, and then I would train people that wanted to decrease body fat. And if they didn't have anything on the inside, my friend, it, it, and all they had was their physical body, then they gloried in their body and they started looking down on other people. They treated me really well because I helped them get there, but it was like, oh, look at that person. So I said, I won't create any monsters. There's, there's four areas that I work in, faith, family, fitness, and finances in that order, faith, family, fitness, and finances. And what I do is I go back and if they're carrying body fat, there are 75 reasons why people carry excess body fat. I've got to find out which one belongs to you. And so we, instead of dealing with the surface, the body fat, um, changing their diet, um, putting them on an exercise program, making sure they get the right supplements. No, why are you carrying this excess body fat? Is it stress related? Does it come from cortisol release? Is it um, what you're eating, the type of water you're drinking? Does it have estrogen mimickers in it? You know, we want to go to the root. And if you destroy the root, then the problem, you know, uh, dissipates almost like a dandelion. You cut that dandelion down over and over and over and over again, it comes back. But if you kill the root, the flower goes away. So we troubleshoot to find out where this comes from. And I had a girl say to me, man, she said to me, uh, I want to get rid of this body fat. When I look in the mirror, I don't like what I see. But she also said this, to be overweight means to be overlooked. She was raped by her grandfather. She was raped by her father and four mm -hmm. brothers. And she said, if I'm overweight, I'm not attractive. So subconsciously, she wanted to be overweight. But when she looked in the mirror, she hated what she saw. The doctor told her you have diabetes and she wants to get rid of it. But subconsciously, she has this sabotage mentality that's going to keep her in the condition she in, she's in. So I had to go in and work with her emotionally and spiritually to get rid of uh, the hindrance to make it okay for her to get to, to look good.
Yeah. So that's what I love doing. Troubleshooting people's lives. I enjoy that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm taking a moment, man. I'm just thinking about the trauma that again, you don't know what somebody's walking through in their shoes, right? I mean, you can sit there. It might be, I, I think that's so powerful. And I just want listeners to think about that for a second, because it can be very easy for those of us who who make health and fitness a priority, right? It can be very easy for us, Ron, to look at somebody like this young woman who might be overweight and go, well, she can't take care of herself or, or she's a slob or, or she, whatever. We're going we're gonna to create our own story for her. But man, what you just talked about, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I got two young daughters myself, so I'm taking a moment here thinking about that. How, why is it so important to sit there and not, and not be judgmental of others? I mean, I know, you know, in your probably your worldview, there's only one real judge, but I think that just is something we can pay attention to that some people are always dealing with other things that we shouldn't be so quick to judge them. I mean, that's been your experience, right? Well, you're absolutely right. One of the things is this, is the reason why I think I'm good at what I do is I am so non-judgmental. I have gone through so much in my life. And we, we wrote a book about this, about soul wounds. I've had so many soul wounds, man. Uh, and it's important that those soul wounds become scars. So if you took all my skin off and just looked at me, I would be filled with scars. The wound is the pain or the incident that created the problem, but the scar is just the evidence that it was there. But see, and the difference between the wound and the scar is the wound can be infected again and it can fester and it can call, it can grow and cause more problems. But the scar shows the experience. It leaves wisdom and understanding and compassion for the other person. So I have all of these scars. So a lot of the people that are going through struggles, I've been through them and worse. So it makes me very non-judgmental. So everything that I went through was worth it because um, there's so much good that comes out of it. I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm thinking about scar tissue, right? Because in the human body, uh, you, that was a great analogy, Ron, that you had with, if you have an open wound, that wound can get reinfected. That wound's not going to heal. That wound can keep you from moving forward. But what scar tissue does is closes up the wound and allows your body to function normally. Right, you mm-hmm. might have some tissue there. It might not. The tissue might sl- might not slide across one another. It's still the the wound has been there, but it's been healed. So I like that. I like that analogy with with the scar tissue. What what's what needs to happen for somebody to take an open wound and create the scar? Allow the scar to heal. One the 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 biggest thing is I call it the unconsidered hindrance to your life, and that's forgiveness, man. Some people die, but yet they're still alive in someone else's heart, Mm. you know, and the pain that they cause. See, what happens is you have triggers. And I I think all of us have them where somebody says something or do something. We smell something that reminds us of something that's a trigger. If there is a trigger, that means there's a gun somewhere in the vicinity. And all you need is a bullet to get an explosion. And that bullet could be one word. It could be uh, a look, but whatever it, whatever that is, it creates an explosion. So if you've, if if if, if you want to know if you have any wounds, find out what your triggers are. If you can't find out what the wound is, then we can trace it back by a trigger. Um, I remember uh, when I was young, they used to call me dumb, stupid. You'll never be anything. Well, I got older. I didn't tell very good jokes. Probably twenty five years old. I told a joke and everybody laughed. 
And all of a sudden the guy said, man, you are so stupid. And I heard stupid, stupid, stupid. You call me stupid? And I was ready to explode, man, um, because he hit a trigger. Mm. And so that led all the way back to one of my soul wounds. And until that wound was healed, I could continue to be triggered. My wife triggered me before we got married. She said to me, um, we got in an argument over something really small. And she says, I'm leaving. And she walked out the door. Man, I dropped to my knees and it was like somebody stabbed me in my heart. But what she triggered, uh, she came back 10, 10 minutes later and I said, you left me, you left me. She said, no, I went to the store and got some gums so you could cool off. And I said, you're just like my mother. Mm. But she took me all the way back to when I was three years old. And I felt the pain of my mother leaving me. And man, it, it triggered me. So I had to forgive. So, so, so most of those triggers are triggers of forgiveness of situations and circumstances that we stuffed and didn't really deal with. And we say, just put your past in behind you. Put your past behind you and just forget it. I mean, everybody has a story. No, you better deal with that past so you can close the door and then see your future. Because if you're trying to move forward, looking at your past, then 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 your future is very dim. You know, as you say that, Ron, what comes to mind, it kind of comes back to to where you grew up. And you, you talked about you didn't get much um, love and attention or affection from people around you. And I'm just kind of thinking about how many young men are out there in the cities in, in certain neighborhoods that they're carrying the, that they're walking around with open wounds that they haven't been they, they haven't been treated right they haven't been they haven't been spoken to in, in a loving way you know and that's kind of what I'm hearing in your voice because again I look at a lot of dudes out there I look at a lot of people that might get in trouble or, or might, that we might look at look down on and say oh they're criminals they're this they're that they're thugs whatever it is. But the fact is, they just grew up in a very different environment. You know what? What do you think? It, what do you think it was that you know helped you move out of that environment? That helped you kind of take, be able to close your wounds and move beyond that. Because I, I hear you speak, man. I'm just thinking there's so many kids out there, so many young men out there that are carrying that anger, that are carrying that whatever, and they hear you know because I it just comes to mind you guys trying to be tough and trying to show out for whatever. When in reality, they just got to learn to turn, you know, to forgive and just learn how to like embrace other people. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, because I mean, I just, I hear that. It's not like we, we, we're not going to solve the world in this conversation, but I think if people kind of hear and take that perspective that again, I mean, what was it that really allowed you to turn the corner? Because life could have gone a very different way for you, dude. And I think you know that. Yes, yes, sir. I've seen it. Everybody that I grew up with, they told me that I was born to lose. They said, you're born to lose. You'll be dead or in jail before you're 18. That's what they told me. And I was headed that direction. All the people that most of the people I grew up with, that was their fate, dead or in jail. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a little older now, but most of them are dead or in jail. But the, the, the big thing with me was I believe that I was so inundated and so consumed and grafted into the ghetto that there was really no foreseeable way out. It's like that gerbil on a wheel, just, mm-hmm. you know, round and round and round because that's all I knew. And then finally, 
when I started developing this relationship with God, I, I looked at my environment, I looked at TV and TV was like a fantasy. You know, you see people living in mansions, you see people doing all these great things, driving nice cars. And that was like a fantasy to me. It was TV, of course, you know. Yeah. Um, but I said to myself, I no longer want this life. I don't know what's out there, but it's gotta be better than this. And so I left the environment that I was in in Indianapolis, Indiana, I had to get out of the ghetto. I had to get out, but I had to hate everything about it. I had to hate the music. I had to hate the the lingo. Hey, yo, dude, check this out. I had to hate all of it, man. Uh, the baby, you know, they, uh, even even the slogans and the, the lingo, baby mama, I hate those terminologies. And so I had to hate it completely so that I could get away from it. Because if I loved any part of it, it would be like a vacuum that would suck me back in. So I hated it enough to get out. And then once I got healed, I can go back and get people. It's almost like a swimmer. If, mm. if, if It's almost like swimming. If I can't swim and you're drowning, it would be foolish for me to jump in and try to help you. The important thing would be for me to get out of the water, throw a buoy in or learn how to swim and come back and get you. But it, I was drowning and I couldn't help anybody else. So I had to help myself first, get out. Now I can go back and help other people. Yeah, I'm just, man, that's, this is powerful stuff, dude. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why I want to talk to you is just because you, you've had a different life perspective. And I think that sometimes one of the things that we need more of in our, in our country right now, more in our, in our culture, is be able to sit down and have a conversation like this with somebody that comes from a different perspective, with somebody that might see things a little bit differently than you. And, you know, I told you I grew up outside of D.C. And I'm just thinking about, you know, I grew up outside of D.C. in the 1980s when, when crack was running rampant, when it was just like wow. dudes getting shot on, you know, people getting shot on the street corner. You know, it was crazy. I mean, not that far from where I went to high school. I went the, Where I went to high school was about maybe a mile from uh, the district line. And it just was like a crazy, crazy environment. And I'm just thinking, man, of all those people that they got sucked up in that, they just didn't have some positive, they didn't have a positive force in their life. They didn't have a positive, mm. whether it's family, whether it's something, you know, minister life. And I'm just sitting there thinking that that if, if we had more of these type of conversations with somebody that might be from a different kind of background, that we might be able to move forward a little bit. Is that something you try to do now as your role as a pastor? With, with Do you try to help people to kind of take a look and see how somebody else might be acting or, or to, to help other people see how people might be walking in, in somebody else's shoes? Absolutely. We have uh, where I'm from in, in, uh, it's, uh, in Utah, it's uh, Draper. Um, they have an adversity, um, diversity and inclusion committee. Um, and I'm a part of that committee where I can express some of the things that we're dealing with. One of the big things, man, that uh, that I realized, I mean, it was so eye-opening for me, is when I was in the ghetto, I had a scarcity mentality. And once I got out, see, there's little that I knew about myself. I didn't really know who I was. I thought that was who I was. But when I got out of the, the ghetto and my mentality began to change, I realized there was something special about Ron Williams, that I had some gifts that were not being expressed. I write books, I in, I'm, I'm, I'm an inventor, I invent exercise equipment. But when you're in a scarcity mindset, 
all you're thinking about is survival. There's no creativity there. That's one, that's a whole different side of your brain. But when I got out of the ghetto and moved into a more of a prosperity mindset, I saw all of the creativity that I had inside of myself that I never would have experienced if I stayed in the ghetto. I had to change my environment, my thought process, so that I could see that there was something in me that was worthwhile. And that's powerful, man. And now the other thing, I'm going to start wrapping this up before before too long. But the one thing that, that kind of comes to mind, again, as I hear you talk, I remember years ago, I'm, I'm talking about I was a young man, you know, arrogant, whatever, <laughs> arrogant, egotistical. I, I can use all those terms to describe myself in my early 20s. But I heard, I heard an athlete say one time, He's like, man, he's like, thank God for my abilities. And I thought, why is he talking about that? Why God has nothing to do with him being a good <laughs> athlete. You know, it's his own ability. But then real, I can look back on it later. And this is, again, another reason why I have a lot of respect for people of faith is now I realize and I love hearing the story about how people acknowledge that their gifts came from someone else. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't have a lot of my life. You know, I'm, I got I live a relatively low key life. But all these things are gifts that have been, you know, kind of that, that have been given to me by just by trying to walk and do the right thing, put one foot in front of the other. So where I want to go with you in this is in fitness, isn't fitness, isn't exercise one of those areas where we kind of have a responsibility to take care of our own body because our body was given to us by some by, by a higher power, right? I mean, do you ever take that approach? Is that something that kind of drove your mindset as you shifted your life and you, you made more of a God of a central focus because you continue bodybuilding. And I think you still bodybuild, correct? Do you still compete? I don't still compete, but there's a picture on my wall right there. I look oh, yeah. probably maybe 10, 12% off of that. Okay. I mean, and that's when I was back in my forties and I'm 60 in, in a month. I mean, in February, next February, I'll be 60. And I still look almost like that. Okay, but, you're about but, ten years older than me, man. I was like, I was thinking you're within like three or four years of me. I was like, okay, dude, sounds like he grew up. We grew up about the same time. I would not have put you. And for for listeners, if you're listening to this on audio, go check out the YouTube because Ron does not look like he's about to turn sixty. You know, <laughs> but let's let's take a step because that that has to do with one of the reasons why you exercise, right? I mean, isn't that is is because you've been training your entire lifespan, right? Pretty much, man. Yeah. But when, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. When I started competing, I didn't train because I loved training. I hated training, but I loved winning and it required training to win. But now my view is my body is the temple of the Lord. And the, the way I look outside, I want that only to be a reflection of what's taking place inside. Uh, you have a lot of people that have really beautiful bodies but they have nothing inside. They're, they're mean. They would cheat you. They would steal from you. I want my 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 physical appearance to be uh, just a, a duplication of what's taking place inside, just a representation of the person that I am. Well, no, that's a great, because that's why I asked that question, Ron. I probably could have asked it a better way, because I think for a lot of people, it's, it's hard for them to find the motivation to exercise, right? Oh, I don't have the time. It's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. But at the end of the day, our body is a gift, right? If we don't, if somebody gave you a nice car, if, if, if I gave you a Mercedes, what would you do with that Mercedes? I take care of it, man. <laughs> you take care of it, right? If somebody gives you a nice car, you're going to take care of it. You can get the oil change, you get it maintained. 
That's kind of what our body is, right? Isn't it, do you ever do you ever use that point of view with people that are maybe having a hard time following an exercise program? Well, one thing I tell them, I said, you're going to pay now or you're going to pay later. Mm. You know, you're going to pay one way or another. Either you're going to pay losing the years off your life. You're going to pay with medication, diabetic medication, high blood pressure. I mean, so if you take care of your body, put a little sweat, you know, blood, sweat and tears in in the beginning, then it's going to it's, it's going to behoove you later. You're going to be able to travel into your 80s and 90s with your family. My father, uh, he's on a, a respirator. He can hardly walk. I took him on a cruise, man. And uh, we we only went we didn't get off the ship. We only um frequent a third of the ship that was to eat to go up on the the deck and sit in the sun and go back to our room i didn't care because i just wanted to spend time with him uh we've got a beautiful relationship now me and my mother we have a beautiful relationship now but it came through forgiveness and when i forgave them they forgave themselves Mm. and now both of them have a relationship with god (laughs) <laughs> and I was just about to ask if you you stayed in, in contact with the family, man. That's a, that's a powerful story, and that's where I honestly some of my favorite people and, and some of my one of my mentors uh, is Dr. Cedric Bryant from the American Council on Exercise, and Dr. Bryant is really just one of the, one of the best people I know. But he he makes faith. I mean, he he's very strong in his faith. I get is what I'm looking to say, and and some of my other mentors. It's funny because I I find that more and more the people I respect are people that, that put their faith front and center in their lives. And again, that's another reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you. And I know this might be slightly different than some of the normal conversations I have on the podcast, but I want people to realize that it, it doesn't matter what you what it is that you live for, but you got to have something other than yourself. Would you agree with that, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why I want to talk to you, Ron, is because when I looked at your bio and looked at your information, it's like, okay, here's somebody who's had a very interesting background, but you you live for somebody else absolutely i live for i live not only for god but i live for people man i love i couldn't always say this i love man that, that almost made me emotional i love people and i hate to see the struggles that they go through and the pain if if, if i can just soothe help them soothe just a little of their pain and to go a different direction and heal some of those wounds man that that i mean that that means the world to me um, yeah, it means a lot to me. Well, and, and I know, and, and now I'm, I'm going to shift you here, man, because this has been, a, I don't know about you, but this has been a strong conversation. And I hope that someday we can meet in person and not just as two images on a screen, because I'd love to give you a big hug and, and get to know you a little bit better in, in a different, you know, in a real context. But I'm going to shift now and I'm going to talk about a different kind of pain. Okay. And I was looking at that piece of equipment you invented, what, the iron chest blaster? Yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't mean I don't mean I'm not I'm not trying to make light because a lot of people have dealt with emotional pain and you want to help them get through that. But then I saw that product you invented and dude, just watching you work that that made my chest get in a little bit of pain. <laughs> so what how, what is the Iron Chest Blaster? How did you come up with that, man? Because I looked at that and it's like here you are. You've written books. You're a public speaker. You're a pastor. You really try to have a positive impact on people, and you created a, a piece of fitness equipment. I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah, well, one with the Iron Chest Master, it's a piece of equipment that uh, that I designed and created probably seven, eight years ago, and um, that's not the first piece of uh, piece of equipment that I've created, but it's one that we could put on the market. 
We have one that's in design right now that also will go on the market, but it has to have a certain spec before you can actually use it um, to, to mass produce it, to sell it to the world. And most of my equipment that I make is only for me. It's only for me. Uh, it, it, it's not feasible to market it. I've got a piece of equipment that is beautiful, but it would cost too much to ship it. Uh, it's it's not the right size. I mean, it does. It just doesn't make sense for the average person. But it it, it meets my needs. Uh, but with the Iron Chestmaster, it's a piece of equipment. My weakest body part when I started competing in bodybuilding was my chest. Um, and so the Iron Chestmaster helps to alleviate that, and it builds the chest. It works in the arc motion, just like a bird in flight. A, a bird has a ball in the socket, just like we do in the shoulder, and he flies in an arc. Consequently, the largest muscle on a bird and the leanest muscle on a bird is his chest. So, and the thing about a bird is he has lateral resistance. Mm -hmm. It's real hard to find lateral resistance. When you're doing a dumbbell press or a bench press, although the weight is coming from behind you, even if you move the weight in, the weight is still coming from, 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 from behind you. But with the Iron Chest Master, there's resistance laterally that you pull in. When you're doing a, a cable crossover, your arms are behind you again, you're pulling the resistance from behind you rather than laterally. And the bird, his lateral resistance comes from the, the wind, the air, and he's pressing against it. So with that being said, and the bird never rotates mm -hmm. his, uh, his, his hands and supinates because one thing, you don't want to supinate that shoulder as you're developing the chest. When you supinate and you pronate, it's really good for peaking the bicep, but not really good for, for when you're working your chest. So you want to keep that position and get the lateral movement. A bench press will give you a max contraction, but never a peak contraction. So that's what the Iron Chest Master produces. You can use that machine for several different exercises. You can work your abs with it. You can work your biceps, your triceps. But what we did is we put together a program where you have two resistance bands, two resistance bands, and you can literally work your whole body with the well, chest mass and two resistance bands. When I, when I saw that, man, yeah, you're right because you're pushing and you're sliding your hands in together. And I'm gonna have a link. I'm gonna have a clip down to a video that you shot um, so people can see what you're talking about. So if you want to see what Ron created, you can go down below in the show notes and see that video. Because I look at that, and, and I, I played years of rugby, dude. I, I, I don't even know how many times I've separated each shoulder. And I separated my left shoulder just two years ago riding my bike. I, I came down hard. I was, uh, I was being an idiot. I was trying to ride my bike in a skate park at 40-something years old. <laughs> and, and, yeah, so I don't do – the point being, I don't do much for my chest anymore other than push-ups because I've, I've, I've banged those shoulders up so much that if I try to do some other movements, man, they start yelling at me really quick. But I saw mm -hmm. that. I was like, man, that thing looks like he can fry, absolutely fry. And I'm looking at you now and see your chest muscles and your shoulders and your triceps. And it's obviously, you know, it's, it's obvious you stay in shape. Now, what role I – I always like to ask people this. How have you changed your workouts? You said you're almost 60. As you've gone in through your 50s and, and, you, and you've matured a little bit, Hopefully you've matured a little bit. <laughs> it sounds like you've had a lot of emotional maturity. But as you've gotten a little bit older and your body's changed, Ron, how have your workouts changed? Because one of the, one of the themes of this podcast is helping people learn how to use exercise to manage the aging process. So with that, like how how have your workouts changed as you've as you've gotten a little bit older? One thing has changed dramatically, and that's 
I don't do the heavy squats the way I used to. Because one thing, uh, I don't have that desire. The pain and the punishment I used to love. Mm -hmm. I would do um, 50 reps on squats with 315 pounds. Man, that is so painful and it burns. The intensity of that is crazy. So I, 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 and, um, I would squat 625 for 10 reps. That I, I no longer desire to do that. I don't do squats anymore. I do a leg press because of the poundage on the lower back. Um, I, I just don't enjoy it anymore. But everything else, I'm almost as strong. I don't do heavy bench presses, period. Um, I used to do bench press competitions. But I realized the bench press is not the best um, exercise. It's one of the most comfortable exercises for the chest. And one of the most popular, when we sit down, people say, um, how much do you bench? I mean, it's one of the first questions I get. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I don't use the bench press anymore, not a standard bench press. But everything else is almost the same. I'm breaking records now at 59, uh, records that I've never been able to achieve when I was younger, man. Mm. So my training has changed in the fact that I'm, 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 I'm conscious of everything. I make sure I stretch, I warm up better, and I cool down, and I get recovery. I make sure my, my recovery is a little bit longer. That, that, that would be the biggest thing. I don't do squats the way I used to. My recovery is longer. I don't do bench press. And I'm focused on uh, the muscle doing the work rather than just going through the range of motion. Uh, contracting that muscle instead of extending the arm uh, or extending the leg. Uh, so that would be the differences. But as I age, I think I'm wiser. I'm not trying to, um, I'm not trying to, I don't have these big audacious goals of competing. So there's some, there's some things that I just don't have to do that way. I just want to stay in shape, look good in the suit when I stand on stage and speak and feel good in my skin, man. Do you hear that? No, you barely hear a thing. This is a new accelerate percussion massage gun by Nimble. I've been using this for the past few weeks and absolutely love it. First, as you can tell, it's not that noisy. If you've ever been in the gym and wondered who the heck is using an air hammer only to find out it's one of those massage guns, you know how loud they can be. This one is super quiet, which means you can use it around other members of your family when they're asleep, either late at night or early in the morning. I saw the first one of these back in 2007 and the cost was more than $2,000. And the prices come down substantially. The way a massage gun works is it activates the muscle spindles and the Golgi tendon organs in your muscle tissue to help relieve tension. There's some great research out there. I've read it. Trust me, I am loving this massage gun. And if you love to exercise, if you love to work out, if you love to push yourself, and you want good sources of recovery so you can get back to that next workout, I highly, highly recommend the Accelerate Massage Gun by Nimble. There'll be a link down below in the show notes. Because you're, you listen to All About Fitness, because you're an All About Fitness listener, use code AAF20. That's AAF20 to save 20% on the purchase of an Accelerate Nimble Percussion Massage Gun of your own. If you're looking for a great source of recovery, I highly recommend it. Information is down below in the show notes. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm kind of smiling because it's funny how much ego drives us when we're younger, right? You I mean, we want to be the biggest, we want to be the strongest, we want to be whatever. But as we get older, it's like, you know what? I love the fact that you said I want to be comfortable in my skin. 
Because I think to me, I like talking about exercise is giving you freedom, right? Fitness gives you freedom for how you want to live. Like if you want to be whatever you want to be able to do, fitness is the means to that you're not you're not a slave. It was funny, and then we'll wrap it up. But I went. I had my my physical. I changed uh, health insurance companies last year, right before uh, COVID hit. And I went in for my first physical, and they're asking me all these questions. I was 47 at the time, about to turn 48. And uh, they're going, well, wait, you're not taking any medication? I was like, no. You, you don't have any chronic health conditions? I was like, no, I probably stand to lose a couple pounds, but no, I don't have any. You know, they're like, wait, you're not. Like, the nurse like, you're sure you're not taking any medication? I'm like, no, I don't take anything, right? And they're like, they're looking for things wrong with me. And here I am, 47 years old, and I'm like, yeah, could I lose a few pounds? Sure, but... I know, I, you know I'm as fit as I want to be. You know, I'm strong. I can move. I can do whatever I want. And it's just funny how people assume that once you get to a certain age that a disease is part of, you know, people, you're going to be living with disease. And what, yes. what, what, what exercise allows us to do is to live disease-free. Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly, Ron, that you're going to pay for it one way or the other. Either you put the time in the gym now and you live the right way now, which it's, it's not easy, right? You got to make time. You got to invest some money. Or you wait till you get older and you get sick and you get you, you're not healthy and then you'll definitely be paying for it then. I mean that's a great way to wrap it up. Well, where can people get more information about the type of work that you're doing? About especially with your coaching program, with with other stuff that you're doing. Where can people get more information about you? Well, one is uh, they can look at RonWilliamsMinistries.com. They can look at IronChessMaster.com. Um, championbody.com, rwchampionbody.com. Those are some websites or just Google me and just get in touch with me. We'll see to it that somebody gets back with you. But yeah, man, I I do want to meet you. You seem like just an awesome guy, man, uh, and brilliant. I can oh, hear you. it, man. I mean, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to meet you. Next time we get out to California, I'm going to look you up. And likewise, because, well, real quick, let me ask you this. You said you're in Draper, Utah, so you're a little bit out of Salt Lake. But what kind of fitness scene is up there in Salt Lake? Because I keep hearing, you know, it's like little fitness scenes have popped up. Austin is a big fitness town now. Salt Lake City, there are a number of little fitness companies up there. What's the fitness scene up there in Salt Lake right now? Well, this is a this is a place where a lot of people are outdoors. They're outdoors and they're moving and uh, lots of uh, hiking, mountaineering. I actually went uh, canyoneering about two weeks ago, man, with the group that um, that we were doing some training with. But fitness here is is just off the charts, man. It's unlike uh, where, I, where I was born and raised. It, yeah, if you if you grew up in the city in the inner city of Indianapolis, man, you're probably about a about as far away from that as you can be. It actually reminded me, I got to catch up with an old friend of mine. Uh, her name is Melanie. I'm totally blanking her last name, but she does a lot of, uh, she does fitness programs. She's in Salt Lake and she does fitness programs to take people out hiking and camping. And I need to need to catch up with her and, uh, and everything. So you're reminding me of that. Well, Ron Williams, man, it's a pleasure to speak with you. It's a pleasure hearing your story and hopefully giving people a little motivation for how they can do fitness a little bit better in their lives. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. And I really appreciate what you do, man. Wow. That that was a powerful conversation. And I'm going to have that up on the All About Fitness Podcast YouTube channel here pretty soon. So you can watch that conversation and see what Ron looks like. Because it's hard to believe this guy is near 60. If you want motivation to train, if you want motivation to stay fit, if you want, if you want motivation for how to use exercise, to uh, to slow down to to slow down the the effect of aging on your body, 
I'll have his website down below. Go take a look at Ron. He really is. I, I love talking to people like him because I find him very inspirational. And like I said in the beginning, I, I really don't go out of my way to book guests who, who talk a lot about religion. I think that's a very private thing for many of us. Now, some of us like sharing our faith and in, in our religion with our friends and, and people in our circle. But at, at the same time, I also recognize the fact there are a lot of people who would just rather keep that private. But one thing that, that I've seen and one thing I've experienced is that really some of the, the people in my life who I really have a lot of respect for, some of the people in my life who have had an impact on my life are people who make religion an important component of their life. And they don't wear it on their sleeve. They don't go out and proselytize and say you need to do things this way. They just live a life of quiet faith. And, and they, they let the, the way they live set the example for what they do. And that's why I'm always open. I'm open to talking to anybody of any religion. I, I don't care what faith it is. I think we can all learn something. And I mean this sincerely. I think we can all learn something by from anybody by having an open ears and an open mind and, and just hearing about life from somebody else's point of view. Because I found this to be a very powerful conversation. I mean, the fact that he led the conversation by talking about his childhood trauma, he kind of blew me away. It took me a minute or two to recover. And, and it's really true. I mean, I've been sharing. This is now the second guest in a relatively short period of time. The first was Dr. Joan Iflin talking about processed food addiction. But this is second guest in a relatively short period of time where I've been somewhat open about my experience in a 12-step program. And it's true, a lot of people, a lot of things I've heard over the years, a lot of it comes back to childhood trauma, things that, that we may have experienced when we were children that, that had an imprint on us. And, and like Ron, I had that moment, I was 26, I thought it was 26, 27 years old, when I realized, you know, I can't keep going down that path. I mean, some people call it a moment of clarity. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Some people may call it an intervention from God however you want to define it. I think we've all had that moment in our life. I think each of us has experienced that moment where we realize, you know what, what I'm doing right now just isn't working. It could be a job, it could be a relationship, it could be a relationship with food, it could be a relationship with physical activity. I think we've all gotten to that point of where enough is enough. Some friends I have in, in AA you may, whether or not you're familiar with AA, you, I think we're all familiar with the, with the idea of a 12-step program. Well, friends of mine, I've heard friends of mine, experienced people in, in AA talk about that there's actually a step zero, which is this has got to stop. And that's what I heard Ron talk about. You know, Ron, Ron and my, my friend, the late Mike Bullock, one of my good rugby buddies, they, some people turn to God. Some people turn to a 12-step program. Some people get involved in other aspects of life. But I think we can all relate to the fact that we've had certain experiences in our life that where we go, you know what, this is, we've got to stop this behavior. We've got to stop this activity and do something a little more positive and a little more constructive. That is why I'm always open to having a conversation with somebody like Ron. Plus, I mean, during this is a month of men's health, I'm doing a few different episodes on men's health. I thought this was a great point of view. I thought having somebody talk about their journey and and their experience and somebody who, when I, when I was doing a little bit of research about Ron Mann, I mean, his background is powerful, but the fact that he's still in phenomenal shape, I mean, the dude looks 20 years younger than he really is. 
And, and that to me is inspirational. And that's what I wanted to share with you. That, that's my takeaway. When I have a conversation like that with somebody who, whether they're a minister or whether they're somebody who just really is deep in their faith, what I try to listen to, what I try to have an open mind about is this works for somebody else. And this, this allows them to, to lead a life that's relatively hassle-free and that, where they have the opportunity to help others. And that's why I try to take away from these conversations. Hopefully you did too. Now, if you want any information, if you, if you want to touch base, if you want to connect with me, you can do that at Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's my email. I have resources in the show notes. I have eBooks. I have online courses, all that stuff. What I'm trying to do with the podcast is I'm trying to be a resource for you on how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. You can listen to the podcast. You can buy one of my eBooks. You can take one of the online courses that I have. You can buy one of my books that are available anywhere books are sold, Smarter Workouts, uh, and then coming up soon, Ageless Intensity. I'm just trying to put this information out there because I want us all to learn how to use exercise to overcome any challenges that we might have. I mean, one of the cool things about exercise is that when you, when you focus on a goal, when you, when you learn how to lift a heavy weight, you learn how to do challenging exercises, that gives you confidence to do other things in your life. Because if you can pick up that weight, if you can reach that goal in the gym, then that gives you confidence to do other things in your life. And that's what I'm trying to do with all this content. I'm trying to trying to give you that skill, to give you those tools, to be able to, to take what you can do with fitness and apply it to every everything in your life. You can connect with me at my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com. Connect me, with me via Instagram. I'm all about fitness podcast. The Instagram handle is all about fitness podcast. I'm going to be putting up a lot of great information coming up in the next couple months. I got some amazing guests coming up that I am so excited about. And hey, as always, thank you for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.